my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Today, I'm joined by Ashley Shine, a Los Angeles-based comedy writer, actress, filmmaker, and activist from Dayton, Ohio. One of her more notable roles as an actress is the character Aliyah Jones in her comedy series, Hashtag TMI. As a writer, Ashley is committed to creating character-driven comedies that feature Black women and the LGBTQ community. Additionally, Ashley is on the board of Still Bisexual, an organization that is, quote, building acceptance, awareness, and understanding of those who are attracted to more than one gender, end quote. She's also on the board of Hashtag Out, number four, Mental Health, a California organization that works with LGBT groups throughout the state to meet the needs of the LGBTQ plus population. I am very excited to learn more about Ashley and also her diverse accomplishments and interests. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I was saying before the recording, her background is just giving me all types of zen and peace. (laughs) The colors are just so calming and soothing (laughs) oh thank you so much (laughs) Uh, it's also very zoom ready too (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) well I am first of all thankful to Instagram for my discovery of you and um, a huge thank you again to you for agreeing to be on this platform of course anything for community anything for community Oh, thank you. I do appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, for me, this is getting to know people, but I hope to still keep learning so much from the people that come on here. You know, never assume that I know everything because each time I talk to someone, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's me every single day. I'm one for learning and receiving information. I love to be updated on things and I am really into like just everything. You have a great voice to my ear, but do you also do voiceovers? You know, I have not yet. That is a dream of mine to be in any type of Pixar, Nickelodeon. I I would love to be a voice, but you know, Cray Summer, she has that locked down. Oh, she's still doing that. Oh yeah. It was a market that has been extremely hard to tap into, but now with all the streaming services, there's more opportunity. So if an opportunity arises, I would absolutely enjoy doing animation. Yeah, it's great to hear with streaming that it's expanding our market and that we're not competing with each other. We just have different voices. I never thought we were competing with each other when you've been in the industry for so long, you realize that the person next to you is not your competition, but your sister, your fam. It's more like I'm competing with myself on trying to be the best version of myself each day and that there are more than enough roles for everyone. How's your week been? 
my week has been good. I started exercising and that has been me tapping into my body and figuring out, oh, this hurts and (laughs) (laughs) oh, this used to be easier and oh, I'm getting stronger here. I'm trying to be like everyone and getting back into shape after COVID, just tap in and get to get to know more about me. Mm, The different parts of you. (laughs) Yeah, a friend of mine, Jenny, shout out to her in LA. Her daughter is nine and she got that game, Just Dance. She was doing it, uh, her daughter. And so we were behind her like, that's actually good exercise. So we were doing it with her. It's a combination of intense exercise and kind of living out my uh, music video fantasies. <laughs> I feel like Jenny's daughter had the best time. She's like, look at my backup dancers today. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, she didn't know we were doing it. And she snuck out one night and, you know, forgetting that kids see adults differently. And she looked at us like, what are you doing? Playing with my game. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. Well, before we get going on things, is it okay to ask you how you identify under the LGBTQ plus umbrella? I identify as bi plus or queer. For those who don't understand what bi plus is, that means that with the expansion of gender identity, I will date all genders. Most people say pansexual or queer. I like to represent the bi plus community and we're all underneath that umbrella of bi plus. So yeah, that's what I identify as. Thank you for sharing that. I never heard bi plus before. Because there are some bi people that are just like, no, I only date female or male. Trans non-binary has always been a part of culture. Mm -hmm. We just have, due to colonization, have not had the language anymore to identify what that means. And therefore, I just feel as though I say bi plus because I'm welcoming to all, especially if I was single. (laughs) (laughs) That's the second time I've heard it expressed that way. It's due to colonialism that we've lost a lot of this language, these individuals who've always been here. I think it was a woman I interviewed from Cameroon, and I hope I don't get that incorrect, but she mentioned that, yeah, there was language for that before colonialism. I have been even decolonizing my diet recently with herbs and reading just about the diaspora and realizing how colonialism just really has put a damper in people's identities culture, food. And I think that every body is different. And so it's important that we have these conversations because I think, you know, for Caribbean and South American, they are closer to holding on to the ancestral roots and food wise. But I feel like as a Black American, things definitely got lost in translation, as well as just the stripping of these things. So I'm getting back to the root cause of my identity. And I'm excited about that. Mm, That's music to my heart. Because I've been trying to let people know out of the U.S. that it's not through ignorance that we don't know. It's that, as you said, that stuff was stripped away intentionally and then lost because we are still an ethnic minority in this country. 
I have a aunt and she's 106. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. I know. I was <laughs> like, what vitamins are you taking? <laughs> <laughs> the memories that she has, the history that she has, being able to just tell us about our family history is it's a beautiful thing. And, and even with traveling recently to Hawaii and just seeing how strong the culture is, I'm excited to get back to the root of my whole well-being. As an artist, as a creative, I sense, I'm not going to say I know, but I sense, I'll say I know that you're going to find ways to put that out there to the world. Speaking of your work, Thank you for sharing the links that you shared with me. First of all, your show, Hashtag TMI, I watched both episodes and really liked it. And uh, if there's more, please let me know. Yes, definitely. Episode three and four are coming. And if you loved episode one and two, it is definitely going to get spicier. We get to meet my mom and my aunt, not my real parents, but my character, Aaliyah's mother. It is definitely the comedy that I miss from Noah's Ark. You know, shout out to Patrick. But, <laughs> but also like just me, just the way I grew up wanting to see myself and having a comedic background. This is definitely just for the culture. Mentioning Patrick Ian Polk and yeah, just you being a, a writer, somebody who's not only in front of the camera, knowing how to find ways to, to put our voices out there in the arts. And I like the way it was shot and everything. Can you share with us the premise of the show? So the premise of a show of Hashtag TMI is Aaliyah Jones, my character, is struggling to find love and acceptance and career success while living in Los Angeles. I think that growing up, we all have those aha moments where our parents kind of release us out into the world and we're just trying to figure it out. And I think that she is trying to figure out what she wants for her career and what it looks like when you're in a job that takes you for granted, has you train everybody else, but won't pay you what you're worth. And then also dealing with a breakup of trying to then move on. And so we get to see that through her eyes and it's just really exciting because she's a mess. She is a hot mess. She was me in my 20s. I love me, but me in my 20s was a mess trying to figure it out. And I just think that it is great to see Black women not be perfect, but strive to achieve their goals. And, and that's what hashtag TMI is. I liked figuring it out. And as you just said, it's like we have... A lot of shows that have that for non-Black protagonists, but not for, yeah, specifically Black women showing that, you know, yeah, there's an awesomeness there, but there's a humanness there, you know, like anyone else trying to figure things out. I think for like even BIPOC and queer people, every time I see them on shows, they're like the voice of reason and they're oh, speaking gosh. in this robotic <laughs> way. And I'm just like... I can I get a show like Noah's Ark, like Girlfriends, like um, Sex in the City, just queer 
and I didn't see it, so I made it. There you go. Yeah, and I also watched your short film, Sia. My new baby. Yeah, that one was emotional in a different way. Uh, What was it like for you getting that off the ground from the initiation process to completion? You know, Sia was very difficult. That was a film that I did not think that I was going to make. I thought that that film was just going to live on paper and be on my computer file somewhere. Sia was inspired by so much of 2020. I lost my uncle. He was not receiving adequate health during his time when he was recovering from a stroke. Mm. And my mom was telling the doctor for my uncle that the medicine that he was prescribing was way too strong. He seems like a zombie. Black women aren't always believed. And so when he went into this state, it was very hard for the family because it shouldn't have been that way. But unfortunately, during his rehabilitation, he wasn't receiving adequate health care and assistance and he went into a coma and never came out of it and this was all going on during the social justice uprising but the fact that we were going through this didn't seem like enough so I was away from the core of my family they all live in Ohio and just taking a flight just to say my goodbyes all of it seemed so intense. And so I decided to write a love story about two Black queer women whose livelihood, dreams, and aspirations are at the brink of being lost during the height of the pandemic. And that's what inspired that story because Black women are constantly putting their lives, their bodies, on the line. We saw healthcare workers doing that constantly. Some people had the pleasure of having really great health insurance and not being afraid of COVID. Our obesity rate for the Black community is just really large, especially in Southern states, as well as seeing George Floyd All of these people that I just don't even have time to just name go through such public lynchings. I feel as though there were several pandemics going on at one time and I needed to write about it. Well, first of all, I want to say my condolences and I'm sorry to hear your experience with your uncle. Thank you. Again, I go back to putting humanness on our stories. This experience that you just shared about, it's like, seems like there's still a collective that believes that we're stronger so we can endure a different type of pain. Yeah, I love the Black experience. If I even had to be recreated again, I would still want to come back Black. But it was something about all of this going on in still having to show up. You know, recently with the whole Will Smith thing, 
everybody had an opinion on this. And I was just like, this man has also gone through a pandemic and he has so much access to get mental health and things. And then I was just like, so if he's going through that, just imagine how everyday folk feel. Right. We're all trying to do the best that we can. We need to give each other grace. It makes me think of language, you being a writer and, and how you're finding ways to get these stories out there. One of the things I like about what's being said more publicly is that racism is trauma. It's daily. It's daily. And I don't know what age we go from being cute to being a threat. I feel like psychologically, we know. We felt that shift change, even though we didn't have the right language for it as a kid. We're setting ourselves back and the rest of the world is moving forward. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's powerful. I feel your passion and definitely, you know, your drive through your work. What's your educational background? So I went to the University of Toledo and I studied theater there. And then I went to Santa Monica College and I studied graphic design. And then I have a comedy background at UCB in Second City. I have had just about every job underneath the rainbow. So I was a nurse assistant. I was a librarian. (laughs) I was a hotel manager. And most recently, I am a massage therapist. I'm an SMC graphic design graduate alumni. Oh, nice. SMC. Yes. I was asking that too, because I watched See Her First and what pulled me in, obviously the emotional part of it, but in both your projects, I definitely saw a very well-trained eye for the visual aesthetic. So the cinematography was definitely deliberate. I was in Inside Out in 2021 for hashtag TMI, and there was a beautiful DP who is DPing our short, Zia. I was a huge fan when she was asking about the aesthetics, what look I was going for. I wanted it to be so crisp because sometimes with lighting, we lose the texture of black skin we lose them in the shadows and I wanted to make sure because Black women are seen so strong that we captured all the vulnerability and all the strength as well. Even when like Nola is not strong, we see Sia come in and be the strong one. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted that light and dark aesthetic of feeling like everything is crisp but you see the full picture. And I was super happy because 98% of the crew was BIPOC and 90% of the crew were women. And to have women um, being in charge in roles that you typically don't see 
it was great to walk on set. Congratulations on that. I keep saying the emotion, but you just sparked something for me that my memories now of Black women on screen crying, it's usually in frustration or anger. And this wasn't that. I wanted to capture, like, when I see Black women, especially Black queer women, it's never about their love. It's never about their core relationship of what makes their heart beat. I want to see that because for me, Black love has been my foundation. Even though I'm in an interracial marriage, I still love Black people. I just think that it is something that needs to continue to be shown, especially within the queer community. This film is definitely about relationship and having or not having the words at times. Nola's is searching for how do you capture someone that you love so much in words? I just love that. <laughs> Your gift is being both a writer and a filmmaker. You're able to find that balance. When did you discover for yourself your passion for performing? I came out the womb performing. My mom used to say that I wouldn't answer to my name and that she would have to guess which actress I was. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I was in love with the Cosby show growing up. My grandmother needed to go to the bathroom. She would be like, now watch this story. And when I come back, when this is the first commercial break, you're going to have to fill me in. And I would <laughs> act it out. These are like rich memories of like just loving to perform. I never thought that I would be a writer because I do have a learning disability. I have dyslexia. I have learned how to work with my disability and do my job properly. Were you one of those kids that like put on neighborhood talent shows? I did do like a little dance shows in my driveway with my childhood friend, Melissa and Kristen and my little sister, Candace. But yes, I did a lot of those shows. I was really determined to take an acting class that I remember selling lollipops and holding onto my lunch money. And I remember at the end of a year, I told my mom, I was like, hey, I have enough money to take this college course on acting. How old were you? She's like, you're 13. Wow. <laughs> this is what I want to do. And so I did it. And I think that speaks to just me in general. I won't wait for someone. I will do everything that I can to make a dream of mine happen. Like I didn't see bisexual web series. We make up the largest number in the LGBTQ community, but I don't see people really advocating for the bi community. So I was just like, well, I want to see me, so I'm just going to write a role for me. With Sia, I went out on a limb and was deciding that I was going to finally ask the community for support. And 
I thought that was amazing, the donations that we got in order to make SIA happen. The industry shut down so much that I wasn't booking commercials and I didn't have the technology you needed to shoot a whole commercial set at my house. And so, yeah, I I ended up asking the community. I applied for so many grants, didn't get one. And so with the community's help, I was able to raise $8,000 for SIA. The importance of tenacity. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When did you realize that you wanted to pursue a career professionally in the arts? If my parents were down to move to Los Angeles, I would have been probably a really great child star because I was always so hungry to make that happen. When I was 19, I moved to Los Angeles. I went back home and then in 2008, I came back out and decided that I was going to pursue it full time. What were your initial thoughts when you got to LA? It's extremely big, it's extremely expensive. It was a lot of adjusting. It was a lot of working a lot word for the wise for anybody listening here if you do not come out with a job or a savings please do not come out because it is very hard to pay catch up when you don't start with something and so yeah lessons learned as someone who writes with lgbt characters or protagonists How is it for you being somebody who's open about that in your own life in the entertainment industry? A lot of people, like I named earlier, like Patrick, all of these people that's come before me has laid down the hard foundation of allowing me to be able to walk through any door with my head held high and really tapping into who I am and owning that. My experience is still hard, but it's not impossible because they made successful shows that show people that it's not impossible. I think that's what I want to do as a writer is to be able to have life and art merge into this beautiful thing. What I got a visual of is You shine in what you do, but your sunshine helps others to grow. Oh, I love that. Who said that? Did you say that? I just said that. Oh my God. Okay. Ooh, I love that. I'm going to have to, when this episode drops, I'm going to have to put that on my wall. Oh my God. Affirmation. Oh, geez. Well, you inspired me. So thank you. So yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, as a content creator, what inspires you? My mentor, Amy Ananobi, definitely inspires me. I never thought that I would be so privileged to work with someone like her. I spent a whole year with her and she, you know, helped create as one of the writers and executive producers and also like Flute Bay on Insecure. She was able to make history 
And to be able to be mentored by someone like that was incredible. I always call her my fairy godmother because the confidence that I have now, I probably wouldn't have had that a year ago. So I love that. I love <laughs> just thinking about sometimes my childhood that inspires me just because I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of want to see like a young coming to age story. We need those. We do. We really do. And also, um, didn't I say earlier, I had a lot of jobs, like a lot of jobs. Those have all inspired me from the people that I love to the people I was just like, I do not mess with you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, those work experiences also have inspired show ideas or scripts. So <laughs> yeah, people in life. <laughs> I didn't mention I moved to LA for acting another lifetime ago and also, right. But I say that because when you were talking about aspects of work or not getting credit for, somebody said, I have a movie mind and I'm like, oh, those people that challenge you at work, it's like, oh, I would play the shit out of you one day as a character. <laughs> and you need those inspirations. Like, I want to say this because I think this is important. Please, like, don't feel like, oh, my God, I'm not where I am, so I can't do this or my age. Like, only this society puts an age limit to your art. Mm. Like, you're still an artist, even if you have a full-time job. Just, like, know that in these experiences of you working towards where you want to be, those experiences, one day you'll be a writer. <laughs> you can use it as character development, pieces of your life that you can use within your art that it feels at the time like, oh my God, I'm never gonna attain this goal. But then you remember, doggone it, Barbara and HR really got on my nerves <laughs> that day. <laughs> And then you're on a commercial playing Barbara. Barbara. <laughs> Who inspired you? Oh, you know, it just kind of came together. <laughs> yes. Don't be like, oh, I hate this job. Take every single opportunity to look at people and examine people, listen to people and put that stuff on paper. Use it as character development the mind of a creative huh? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so watch out <laughs> yes I just be sitting here like when stuff be going down I'm like oh my <laughs> <laughs> writing it down <laughs> I love that <laughs> oh gosh I gotta get back <laughs> uh, <laughs> You didn't know we were heading on for Kiki. Yep, yeah, this is therapy our... <laughs> session for me. <laughs> I wanted to get back to, you're from Ohio, and I know there's been some notable Black people, John Legend, Toni Morrison, Halle Berry. Ruby D. Oh, Ruby D. I didn't know she was from there. Oh, yeah. And they're from the Cleveland area. Dorothy Dandridge. Oh, wow. Okay. See, I have some homework to do. <laughs> yes. We got some good music. Ohio players. All, all, Ohio all players, the, yeah. Yeah. Zapp and Roger. Like, I Shirley did not Murdoch. Know 
I went to school with their like kids. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Definitely got some Googling to do after this. (laughs) (laughs) But I was going to ask you, what makes growing up in Ohio or Dayton special and unique? Being able to like have great music. I feel like growing up in the countryside, because I was never cool enough to live in the city. After I was like three, we moved to the suburbs. I was creative. Just being able to have the peace of mind that I don't think you get really when you're in a big city like Los Angeles. Because imagination, I think you get that when your parents tell you to go play outside. (laughs) Go outside. (laughs) Yes. You think of all these ideas. Last time I was back in Dayton, which was this past November, I just kept looking around like, oh my God, I took all this stuff for granted. And just the rich history of it all. Like I was in the North and had no idea, like Kentucky really is the South. And just not knowing the cool history of Ohio. I hear uh, an, an innocence a naivete that uh, keeps you in the moment, maybe. Mm-hmm. You mentioned history, and I know that it was one of the stops for the Underground Railroad. And the crazy thing about specifically Dayton, Ohio, is before there was Silicon Valley, Dayton, Ohio was Silicon Valley. So all the aviation, engineering stuff, the atomic bomb was built there, like <laughs> stuff that. I had no idea that's what made that city rich at that time. Well, if we can shift gears just a little bit, you're a mental health advocate. You're on two boards. Specific to the Black community, how's it been for you educating or promoting mental health to those not only within the community about Black people's needs for it, but those outside of the community? With the permission of my board members giving me their blessing during the whole height where I was, you know, writing Sia, I felt like my mental health, I am mourning my uncle. I don't know what to really do because we're stuck in the house. I created a sacred space event for members of the Black LGBTQ community come in and receive free resources from other practitioners that are Black and LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. At the end of each event, I would give out a resource guide. There are Black queer therapists. There are Black massage therapists. Everything was centered around being celebrated as a Black LGBTQ plus member. I've never been in a space where it was just like, hey, we are about to celebrate ourselves as well as attend to our mental health. And so hearing Black queer poetry being spoken, and this was all over Zoom, and then having someone do self-massage and having people really tapping into themselves again because we were in isolation. It was just really affirming. And then we had a sound healer. It was amazing. And people were like, I really didn't know that's what I needed. I just knew that 
I needed something. And I was like, if I need something, I know that the person to the left or right of me probably needs to say. I feel like we're in a moment as Black LGBT members. As you've said more than once, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to find avenues and ways to not only help us professionally, but also mentally and emotionally too. I come from the Black church. I know that prayer is very important. Religion and people's spiritual practices are super important, but so is mental health. (laughs) Like, yes, I can pray, but also I may need to talk to somebody still, and that is okay. For me with mental health, because I'm a proponent of it, it's like, if I'm bleeding, you wouldn't tell me to go pray about it. You tell me to go to the doctor. I agree. We are on the same boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, read that in 2018, 2019, you were on, was it the first Bi Pride in West Hollywood? You were on the planning committee. Can you share a little bit about that? I was doing work for HRC Los Angeles. They were talking about all these events and I was like, it's always gay and lesbian. What about the boys? And they were like, you know what? We're going to introduce you to some folks. (laughs) And so they introduced me to some bi folks. And I was just like, wow, hi, you're like me. So I was super thirsty and excited because I was just like, oh my God bisexuals we put on the first ever city sponsored bi pride in the world and in the world i did so much of the decorations and ideas and then i did not stay because a queer icon was in the town and i had to go to the beyonce concert but (laughs) the time that i was there it was great And then they were like, let's do it again for a second year. And I was just like, okay. So then we did another March and we had a glow in the dark neon party, which was so trippy, but very enjoyable. And we had that in the city of West Hollywood. It was great to see all of by and pan flags going and seeing you know the by spider-man it was a good celebration are there plans to do another one you know i have no idea i can donate to it but i cannot plan for something of that big of a project it is a project to put on any type of pride events As somebody who identifies, I I like that word by plus, what are some assumptions that you may have heard that people have said to you about being bi? That I will never be faithful. I'm like, I am the most probably monogamous person you'll ever meet. That I'm not gay enough. And I'm like, now, does that even make sense? I think I'm more gay than you are because you're only attracted to one thing and I'm attracted to the whole spectrum of the LGBTQ community, that doesn't make sense. I'm very much school people on it. It depends on the energy that they give me. I think that the new generation though is identifying more in the bi spectrum. 
I remember how, you know, I said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a queer woman. And I remember an older lesbian being like, I don't like the word queer. And she talks to me like it was really damaging being called that when she was younger. And I was just like, you know, I think that with language and how it changes and how even the word dyke was also seen as really harsh but people reclaim that image and word. Definitely opportunities for me, I'll say, to expand my, not just of other people, but of myself. I recently interviewed a young lesbian rapper out of Chicago, and she talked about, first of all, as a woman, but as a lesbian, and how a lot of cisgender heterosexual men, how they fetish, fetish I can't say that word, Fetishize her? Yeah, and I was wondering that too about when you're open about being bisexual. Is that something that you've had to deal with? Most of the time, people just think I'm past as straight. They don't even realize that I'm queer, which is so sad because I'm like, what do I need to do? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it can get a little weird. Especially when cis straight men are like, oh, you're bi. I'm like, oh, God, it's not like an invitation for me to be like, yeah, I want to do you and this other person too right now. I just think that the way a person identifies shouldn't be a pass to fetishize them in any capacity. What has the reception been like for you amongst Black straight people with your work? You want the truth? Well. (laughs) So this is the piece that I need to work on. Another filmmaker had texted me the other day. Throughout the story, these are the things that have come up for me that I'm working through. And hopefully, even by the time that this airs, they texted and was like, hey, did you get into this film festival? And it's a queer film festival. And I was just like, oh, the notification date isn't until May something. And they were like, yeah, but they usually tell people that got accepted into the film festival ahead of time. And my heart just sank because I was just like, I thought that I was putting myself out there for Black film festivals this year in hopes that there is a place for me to be celebrated because I'm Black and I'm queer. I never thought that I would be in a position where now I'm thinking, will I be celebrated not only in Black spaces where I would feel the most comfortable and safe, but also in this other space where I am LGBTQ and it's a festival that celebrates LGBTQ. And this is my perspective of life that I don't want it to be the experience, but it is. So I hope that answers your question because I hope in the future that you don't just choose one Black film that is queer to showcase at your festivals. There's like 50 films on how to be gay and 50 films on how to be lesbian and one black film and all of this stuff. And then with 
all black spaces, just know that the black queer filmmakers are just hoping that when we say black lives matter, I hope my story matters. I hope I matter. And that's the piece that I'm struggling with because for me, I still have had that be, I love you as a person, but I can't attend your wedding because you're queer when it came to my family and friends. Mm. So these are the realities of being a Black queer filmmaker for me when I talk about Black boxes trending, but my life was never a trend. I hope that 2020 wasn't a trend for everyone across the board. Riding the choppy water simultaneously of racism and homophobia, but you're both using the same tools of oppression. You know, we know 99% of the time what you're doing because we grow up in the same system. Thank you. I love your energy. Oh, thank you. I love yours too. <laughs> We're not uh, physically in the same space, but I definitely feel this rich positivity. And I'm a fan of yours too. I can't wait to like celebrate you and promote you. And thank you for doing this podcast because you are part of the change that the world needs right now. You're introducing so many, you know, Black LGBTQ members to their different professions and their hopes and their dreams and you're humanizing them so even if people are like I don't know someone gay but did you listen to this podcast (laughs) now you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well thank you for that I appreciate that Um, you have a project on Discovery Channel can you share a little bit about that Yes. So it is called The Book of Queers. It is the largest sketch show of the LGBTQ plus members in front, behind the scenes. And we're going through the history of being queer. Well, it's everybody's history, but yes. And so it's a sketch show like SNL. And I get to play someone really really exciting that has been just a huge icon in every community but I played Josephine Baker and she was bisexual and so to be able to play a bisexual icon as a bisexual woman is just incredible that's good she was amazing. She was a spy. She was in their government. She was a singer, entertainer, actress. She had adopted all these kids. She lived in a castle. I mean, between her and James Baldwin, I just want them to be my fairy queer parents. Oh, I <laughs> love that. Oh, an idea for a project. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'll definitely uh, share about that. And so that we can know when your next projects are coming, where can we find you online? So if you just at me on all social platforms of Ashley Shine, A-S-H-L-E-I-S-H-Y-N-E, I am available everywhere. And that's also my website is www.ashleyshine.com. Very nice. Thank you again. Thank you.
Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends, too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.